So last week, we, Matt Stevens, one of our elders, ended the sermon with this astounding proclamation. And it was from Romans 10, verse 13. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be, what, saved. I mean, everyone. And, and I love what he pointed out. He pointed out, kind of the, he pointed out this reality that there is no distinction. There's no one that is, that is ineligible. There's no line. There's no divide. And he was talking about how in, in our culture today, there's all these, these false dichotomies. There's all these false like separations that we have contrived and created. But yet, in Christ, all who call on him will be saved. What a beautiful picture of creation and the unity possible there. And so I was just so grateful for that. I've been grateful sitting in this for a while. And just as we think on this, I just you know, want, want us to stop and take a breath and think, like, have you tasted the goodness of God shown in Christ? Have you tasted that sweet relief of trying to do it on your own or feeling the weight of your own kind of morality falling short? The weight of your own work to kind of make you good enough or to make you whole just not satisfying or the things that you consume just not adding up. Have you felt that? Have you, and then have you tasted the goodness of God shown in Christ? Do you know the liberated life that is not left to fend for itself? Just as we think on that, that crazy statement like that, I think we take for granted all who call on Christ will be saved. Does that astound you? Does it, does it something that, is it something that you return to and cling to just every day of like just being reminded of, 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 of who and what and of what you were and, and what, you were, what you were striving for and, and, and the freedom you have now, albeit that, that we experience imperfectly because of our own kind of lack of, of being able to keep attention? Um, do, do, you, do you return to that daily? And, and I say that because, you know, the last week, um, Matt answered the question as he looked at this, the text of Romans 10, 1 through 13 of who can be saved? You know, and, and the question is, all who call on Jesus can be saved. Today we're looking at two verses. And, and if you're wondering, okay, I, I hear all who call on Jesus, but what must I do to get there? We'll see the answer. If you're here today as a Christ follower, wondering what your part, or maybe forgetting what your part is in God's redeeming work of the world, we're going to see that answer as well. Um, so if you haven't already, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans 10. Um, we're going to be looking at just two verses, verses 14 and 15. Uh, we'll have the text on the screen as well. Um, if you use the YouVersion Bible app, you can go to the More tab, click Events. The Bridge Montrose will pop up. There's stuff there to help you along. Also, there's a Bible on the floor near you. Be, you're welcome to use that. And if you don't have a Bible, please take that with you. That is our gift uh, to you. Before we go any further, let me pray. God, I just pray that we would be astounded by that statement, that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, that it would be um, a sweet relief to those in here that, that are maybe seeking and striving and feeling lost and aimless and overburdened and overwhelmed that it would be the source of our joy of salvation for those who are in Christ. It would also be the propelling of our life's purpose. So, Lord, we give you this time. Lord, uh, give us open hearts, open minds. We thank you that 
although we all come in here from kind of different weeks and different journeys and different perspectives and different worldviews, Lord, that you accept every one of us, Lord, that every one of us are here by your design. You have a word for every one of us, so I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would take the words that pass from my lips and catch them aflame, Lord, that we would be changed, transformed, renewed, liberated, and made more effective for, for glorifying you and loving others unto Christ in this life. So, Lord, speak through me now. Speak in spite of me. Whatever it takes, be glorified uh, and to your name. All the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So, again, like I said last week, it was who can be saved this week. We're looking at the journey to salvation. So, we, ran, we have answered all who call on Jesus are saved. This year, we're going to be here a long time. Uh, today, I promise, today uh, is the journey to salvation. So, this is the glorious truth of God's desire and promise of salvation for humanity. This is the nuts and bolts. This is how we get there. All who call on him will, will be saved. So today's text answers this question. How do we get to the point that we actually call out to God for salvation in Christ? Let's read our text, both verses all together. Here we go. How then, this is, sorry, Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And that word preaching is the same as proclaiming. And how are they to preach or proclaim unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So what does it say? Salvation comes to all who call on the name of the Lord, and we get there through this chain of events. There's five things, five, five steps, five elements, five moments, however you want to look at it. There's five things in this chain of events, this chain reaction. is to call, to believe, to hear, to preach or proclaim, and to send. And it works just as well in reverse. Let's, let's listen to that for a second, maybe if that helps you. If no one is sent... Who will preach or proclaim? If no one proclaims, who will hear? If no one hears, who will believe? If no one believes, who will call on the Lord for salvation? So we see in these five things, there, there, there are three that relate to the person seeking, the person needing salvation, and two that relate to the Christ follower. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, I, I, I might fit into that category of like a non believer, a seeker, or someone who needs salvation, I don't really like the label. Let me just tell you, you're in good company. Um, we, we've all been there. If, if anyone in this room belongs to Christ, they were where you were. And, and so I, I want you to, I want to encourage you just to kind of, maybe just kind of sit with open hands for a moment and, and hear where we go, because there is a, a wonderful, wonderful truth um, that is hopefully inviting so there's three things for the person who, who needs salvation, two relating to the Christ follower. So first, just thinking about the things that are necessary for salvation. We're talking about the journey to salvation. We see that it is to call on the Lord, to believe, and to hear. So we're going to look at these real quickly in reverse order. So we're going to start with hear. So he said, who, who will call if they have not believed? How will they believe if they have not heard? So we're here. That some, they, there is a need to hear. And to hear is to be exposed to the truth of God's redemptive work for the entirety of creation. It's not just about you. It's God's desire to restore all things, but it certainly is about you as well, so be encouraged. So to hear is to be exposed to the truth of God's redemptive work for the entirety of creation. 
So this starts generally, Paul pointed us to this back in Romans 1, to the way in which God has revealed himself to all people so that none would have excuse. He's done that through just the glory and goodness and beauty of his creation. And there's just things that just can't be explained by chance. He's done this by the way that he's created you and wired you. If he created and wired you, if we indeed can concede that, then there is a way just in which things work. There is a way in which things just fit. And whenever we step outside of that, it is God's, it is the actual discord that happens inside that actually reveals the reality of God. So that was what we worked through back in Romans 1 for a little bit. Uh, Matt even kind of talked about this a little bit last week. Um, but that's the idea. So it starts there just generally. But here as we're talking about Hearing is more specific than just the general revelation of God. Here it is the actual hearing of God's glorious intention for the redemption of humanity and all creation, um, you know, like explicitly. It is being exposed to it, not just, not just observing it, in, you know, intuitively, but it is actually encountering it, colliding with it, hearing it with your ears. So it is the actual hearing of the word, message, truth of God expressed in Jesus. So when we think about this, this is where the beginning of understanding God for who he is begins. And that's why we start here for the journey to salvation for the person that is seeking. It is when, you know, they're, they're observing the world and they're, they're, they're kind of discerning and kind of intuiting that, that there's maybe something more, maybe something bigger, maybe something that just doesn't quite fit. And as they start hearing the truth of God, as they start hearing the, the beauty and goodness of the gospel, things kind of start fitting. Things start maybe or falling apart, right? Because we kind of have things contained and we've got it to where it fits. And you're like, oh, it doesn't fit anymore. You know, my hands are full. I was, J Jason Hartman and I were trying to carry water bottles down today that it all dumped out. And we're like, they just didn't quite fit in our hands. It was kind of like, you know, just, our, our world just doesn't fit sometimes. And that. That's when, when we start hearing the truth of God, it just the things that we've made fit and contain just start to kind of fall out of our hands. So this is the beginning of understanding. This is where you start to see yourself for who you are. Again, that your hands are not infinitely big. Your, your understanding cannot, cannot attain to all things. You start to see that, yes, you are God's beloved creation, who is, but, but also who is marred and broken because of our sin and rebellion. Oh, and then also your dearly loved. You start, you start to hear, as you hear this, you start to see this. And so hearing is important. And if you are here today, and again, you're, you're kicking tires, you're, you're, you're just wanting to kind of maybe hear some things and hear some things, be exposed to kind of what this is all about. Uh, again, I, I want to encourage you, as Jesus said in Mark 4, 9, he who has ears, let him hear. Um, don't, don't be afraid if, if indeed God is good and he is loving, which is our, which is our premise here, then it is a wonderful thing to hear whatever truth there is of him. Hebrews 3.15 says, it is said, as it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So this is the first step to salvation is, is, you know, God is always revealing himself, but then we start hearing and getting exposed to specific realities and truths. And the first step is not hardening your heart, not continuing to turn away in rebellion, but to actually start opening up to the reality of who God is. So we have to hear, and then we have to believe here, right? 
So we define, here at the bridge, we define a disciple of Jesus as someone who follows Jesus in resulting, in it, re- resulting in the transformation of their head, heart, and hands. And so when we think about believing, this is part of this being transformed in our head, in our thinking. And so as we are exposed to these truths of who God is, we start believing. So this is, this is the head, part of the head transformation. And so to believe, it's, it, we see it used elsewhere in Scripture, just to be clear real quick, like all over John, belief is used as the, as the means of salvation. And this is not contradictory, it's just a different facet in perspective. That's, and there is a belief that saves, and, it's, and this is all together, but just to, just to differentiate, John's using, John is using belief as the saving uh, acknowledgement of God. Here, Paul is making a little bit of a nuanced distinction. Um, so, so when we see here with Paul, this, this belief is, is to intellectually accept, to be persuaded, or to be firmly convinced um, to, to believe is, is to, in this sense, is to acknowledge God for who he is and to acknowledge you for who you are. As we were saying, as you start to turn that corner in hearing and listening and not turning away, now you start actually accepting, wait, this, this might be true. I think this is true. So to believe, to step into belief is to acknowledge God and to acknowledge yourself. You are, like we already said, created by God. You were created by God out of love, for love, for relationship with him. But in our sin and rebellion, all was fractured, all was marred. He's been working to restore. God is crea- he's the creator of all things who is holy, full of majesty, ruler of heaven and earth, loving, just, gracious, kind, and true. And you start seeing for what it is and you start accepting and being firmly convinced, wait, this is reality. So we hear and we start believing and we start taking in to actually our understanding. Belief is where you finally see that although God's creation is good, it is not him. What do I mean by that? All of creation, including those around you that profess Christianity, um, they're, they're flawed. Every bit of it's flawed. So everything that you see with your eyes that you're trying to use to validate who God is, everything falls short of God's glory, holiness, and majesty. And one of our biggest tripping points in our journey to faith is the fact that we look at those flaws and we say, well, that means that God's not real. That means that, that somehow we attribute that to his character. In belief, you finally understand that instead of being, this being a reason to dismiss God, you finally see God for who he is. And, his, and you see this as a picture of his loving grace and mercy. This is my wife's story, her testimony. So if you have any time with Amber, she's, she's serving in children's today, which, by the way, if you love kids or just want to serve the families of the church, go serve in the Bridge Kids. We need you. Don't say we don't need you. We need you. Okay, she's serving in there. This is her story, her testimony, and I would encourage you to let her share it with you of just how one of the things that kept her from just acknowledging uh, Jesus as, as real and as, a, as Savior was what she had observed in the church for her, lo- her entire life up until she was 21. It was the moment when she was just confronted the goodness of, she was confronted with the goodness of God and his love expressed in Jesus. And she says, so wait a minute, all this stuff that I've been pointing at as a reason not to believe, it's not you, God. You're God. You're good. And so, and so, we, so that's the, <coughs> excuse me. So that's this moment when, as we turn to belief, we start to see that all these things are not reasons to dismiss God, but to actually see 
a picture of his grace and mercy. So hearing is this, the, the actual hearing and being exposed to the, the, the truth of who God is, who we are, our need for him is working in Christ. Believing is actually now being firmly convinced that it's true. But guess what? Satan and his demons, as we see in James, says they believe and they shudder. So there's, just, there's yet still something more. So then we get to calling on the Lord. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they call, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in whom they have not heard about? So we're at this calling. We see here, here in, in what Paul is presenting as he is, as he is teaching and calling us to, that it is the calling on the name of the Lord where salvation happens. So what's the difference here between calling on God and believing the truth? So let me illustrate it real quickly. As, as you know, if you've been here before, all of my illustrations come from, from either dadding or husbanding. Um, this is a dadding one. Uh, so as my kids were, were learning to do the monkey bars, they would get out there, and as they were first kind of getting up the courage to do it, they were like, I can do this. And they get up there, and they would get up on the bars, and they would start to go. And they're doing it, and they're doing it, and they're not, not, not a care in the world, but then all of a sudden they feel their grip starting to weaken. And they look down, and they're like, man, for a two-foot-tall kid, that's a long way. Because it's tall, I mean, it's like eight-foot-tall, because we're, we're responsible parents. And, uh, and they're hanging, and they're like, they were so confident a second ago. Now they're like, my grip is weakening. I can't, I, I don't want to fall that far. And then it happens. What happens? They call out, Daddy, help, help. And, and, and just so you know, I am a decent dad. I, I'm actually right here. I'm, <laughs> I'm already there. <laughs> just like I wasn't like sitting on the bench, you know, you know, looking at Instagram or something. I was there. And, just grab their hips. You can do it. But, but you see, that's the picture. That's the picture of calling out. So you think about, let's follow the train of hearing to now being firmly convinced and believing to now all of a sudden you see my grip is weak. There is a chasm beneath that I cannot, I cannot navigate. I cannot overcome. And we cry out, Daddy, help. Help. Save me. So to call out, this is salvation because it is to surrender and to trust. That is what salvation is. Do you realize that? Every bit of the promise is about someone satisfying the debt, the need, the hurdle that you have in your life that you cannot overcome, and that is all in Jesus. So it's not just to acknowledge intellectually, it is to surrender your whole life, your past, present, and future. And that matters because so often we can never get over our past. So often we're, we're so just, just, just neurotic in our present, and we have no assurance of our future. And that just denies the very reality of the full picture of the promise of Jesus. And so it is surrendering our whole life, past, present, and future, to the living God who is holy, seated on high, higher than the heavens, but also right here with his hands right here, right? And he, is, he has caught you in Christ. And so we're saying, I can't do this. I trust you, not myself. I trust the work of Christ, not the work of my hands. I trust the satisfaction of your love, grace, peace, and joy, and not the satisfaction of the things of the world. So that's the work of the journey for the person to salvation. They hear, they consider, 
They take in. They don't reject. They don't rebel. They don't, they don't turn away. They incline their ear and they go deeper. And as they do, they see the, they see the truth of God proven over and over again. They see the love of God that is unconditional and overwhelming. And they believe. They are firmly convinced. And in their belief, all of a sudden, the reality sets in that they cannot do it alone. They cry out, Daddy, God, save me. But now we come to the responsibility or the opportunity of the Christ follower in this chain of events, these five things. And that is to preach or to proclaim. We're going to say proclaim the rest of the day and to be sent or to send. So when we talk about proclaiming, this is the actual articulation of the good news of God's redeeming work in Christ. I mean, it is the words passing from your mouth to someone else's ears, right? Because we... we we love this saying that we've held. If you've grown up in the church, you've heard this, and it's like, and it's your piece of like, I'm not an evangelist, so this is my way of evangelizing. Preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. Right? We love that. I love that. I've loved that for a long time, but it is so incomplete. It falls short. It should be. Preach the gospel always in every area of your life, at all times of your life, and as soon as you are able as soon as the doors open, use words. You know, we have um, a ministry partnership in Pakistan, and, and Dave asked them, how do you explicitly share the gospel in a place where it could take your life, in a, place, in a place where it could cost you your life? And the answer was that. We live out being a good news people every day. We walk alongside people with peace and joy and conviction and courage and selflessness in the moment the door opens, we proclaim the goodness of Jesus. And then we trust God's purpose and will for our lives. Come what may, that's what our purpose is. So it's preach the gospel always in every area of your life, in every moment of your life. And as soon as you are able, as soon as the door opens, use words. Anybody heard of a, of a town crier before? Town crier. Not really around anymore. Um, does anybody know when the last time there was an active town crier in the U.S.? No? I'm surprised you don't know that. The job of the town crier was to make the kind of the, the, the day's news, um, the, the day's events, um, and kind of advertising of announcements and opportunities known to any given town. So the last town crier that was active in the U.S., not surprisingly, was in the great state of Texas. He was in San Antonio. His name is Julius Myers. He was active all the way up until, anyone? Slum Dog Millionaire moment? You just happen to know this? What's that? The Alamo? No, 1926. Okay, you were close. Um, 1926, he was in San Antonio. He was known as Megaphone Myers because he had this booming voice. And he would, he would ride up and down the streets of San Antonio on his horse. And he would be just calling out to the entire town what was happening. He would tell them news. He would advertise. for. There was stores would pay him. And he would say, you know, go to True Lux Pharmacy. They've got the elixir for all your ills. And, you know, I mean... <laughs> I, I don't know if that's true, but something, he did advertise for companies. So, but that's what, that's what he would do. Up until 1926, his job was to make the needed information known to that town just outside of San Antonio. 
This is the picture of what it is to proclaim the truth of Jesus. We have something, if you are in Christ, if you are a Christ follower, if you are redeemed, made new, adopted into the family of God, you possess something the world around you needs to know. You have no other purpose now than to make that known. You can't keep it to yourself. You think about what we have been given in Christ. Yeah, we have personal salvation. It is not just for you. You now have mission. You now have purpose. You are an ambassador of Christ. You are a carrier of the good news. You are a purveyor of hope and grace. I had someone ask me one time at Starbucks back in, you know, they were like, why do you share your faith with people? I'd, I had been sharing my faith with him. And I was like, well, I said two analogies come to mind. And I think I've said this here before a long time ago, but th there was a bank in the parking lot. And I said, well, you know, I said, there's a couple reasons. One is for good news and one is for bad news. I was like, if that bank was giving away a million dollars to every person that walked in the door, just free, 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 you know, free of any attachments, just to every person, every person, it's not, it's not going to run out, it doesn't affect what I get, every person will walk in, I, I'm gonna, I, 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 I like the idea that I get to be the one to tell someone, if you go to that bank, you're going to get a million dollars. That's just a cool thing, because like, that's exciting, like, I get to do that. Like, I would love to be the one that says, I introduced Nathan and Cherie. The Tewarts get that, right? Is it the Tewarts? The Tewarts get that. Like, that's cool. I, I, if, you, if you're a person that likes to say, I've been there, or I've, I've eaten there, or I've tasted that, or, you, or, or like, you're like, go to this barbecue place. It's the best one in Houston. You get it already. It's the idea that you've experienced something good. And so that was one picture I gave. Another picture was this something bad. I was like, hey, if I know that in five minutes, this Starbucks is just going to implode and get sucked down into a deep hole of molten lava somehow. I'm going to do everything I can to clear this place out because I know the impending danger and destruction coming to every person. And so when we think about what we've been given in Christ, we are not meant to just keep it and rest in it and say, oh, this is so good and like, you know, like sniff it every now and then. We are meant to like to share it. We're meant to give it. And, you, and if you have truly tasted that goodness, it is kind of impossible to keep it to yourself. Now, we are forgetful people, and that's why we're told to dig in daily and, like, consider this daily. And that's why, we're, that's why we, we use this language of preaching the gospel to yourself, to, reminding your, to remind yourself of, of the great need that you had and the great need that was met in Christ and the purpose that you have. So it just makes sense. It makes sense to, to, to share it with others, to proclaim so we show the value of, of what we've been given by how we live, but we have to use words. And we have to let those words be humble, patient, discerning, respectful, truthful, courageous, and bold, but we must use words. The Lord will lead us of how and when, but we have to know that words are necessary. And, and thinking about this, you know, especially, and, and, and I'm so grateful that we have a culture that wants to care for people. I mean, how much of our political fighting is who's cared for and who's not? I'm so grateful that we have a culture that just in large wants to care for people. But do you realize that doing, caring for people, which we can call kingdom work, because if, if God's purpose in his kingdom is to bring about human flourishing, anything that we do that brings about human flourishing reflects the heart of God and is, in a sense, kingdom work. So if we do kingdom work without pro proclamation, what does that leave it to be? 
That's philanthropy. That's nice, and it's meaningful, and it helps, it helps a moment, it helps a person. But what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? What does it profit a world to be, to be beautiful for a moment and yet meet its end in destruction? So we must proclaim. Proclamation is what actually expresses who we are. So then we, so we see that we are, are meant to proclaim. We also see that we're meant to send. It says, you know, how will they hear if no one's proclaiming? And how will they proclaim if no one is sending? We must have an outward focus and trajectory of, of all that we do here. And that starts in the individual, and, and, and through the individual, it expresses as the collective. It's got to be both personal and it's got to be communal. We're never meant to just stay safe. We're never meant just to huddle together forever. The, the old kind of cliche adage of just putting arms around each other around the fire and singing kumbaya and reflecting on how wonderful we are and how grateful we are for each other. I pray that we do understand how wonderful we are and how grateful we are for each other. But it is never meant to just be that. And this is a hard truth to our way of life. Because if you really pursue loving each other as God has given us, especially in the body of Christ, I mean, it, it forges deep relationship. I mean, we're meant to go deep. We're meant to be exposed and vulnerable because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So we actually get to live freer. We, got, we actually get to live without shame because there's no judgment because we all understand our own need. So we go deep. We're selfless. We should be. We should be vulnerable. We should be sacrificially loving and generous with one another. And if you do that, imagine the kind of relationship that comes. Many of you have tasted that. You live that. You experience that. And yet, we're not meant to hold on to each other. And that's, I mean, I just, I always come back to this picture of, of Paul that you see in Acts leaving one of the times that he has spent some time in a, in a community and they're all walking to the beach together to put them on the boat. And they pray together. And then there's just, there's just talks about them just sobbing. They're sobbing. They're, 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 they're heartbroken because they know they're probably never going to see Paul again. Paul's crying. They're crying. There is this deep familial relationship. And yet they're all resolved to, this is why we're here. We must send him out. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, must go somewhere else. We're not meant to hold on to one another. We're meant to send each other out to mission. I mean, Jesus' last words before he ascended in what we call the Great Commission, go into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all I have commanded you. I am with you always. John 17, Jesus says in his prayer for, for his disciples and the church to come, as you have sent me, I am sending them. So we're, we have to send one another. We've got to hold each other. I mean, it's just funny. I don't know how to illustrate it because, like, we're just meant to, like, just embrace one another just with such deep affection but also hold with open hands. Ugh. So hard. And you think about a couple of our core values that we have. One of them is to live missionally to the community. And we, sum we summarize that by living as a family and living deployed. 
from our neighbors to the ends of the earth for the gospel mission, understanding that every Christian is a disciple maker and every disciple maker is a missionary with a mission filled to claim. And prayerfully, we see us multiplying disciples of Jesus as people come to know him and multiplying churches where, where we see that we want to spread God's glory by cultivating and multiplying followers of Jesus who impact the world around them, resulting in the need, the necessity to send out gospel communities, churches over and over again. Our goal, our heart here in Houston and in the world, the church's goal should be gospel saturation. Saturation of the love and truth and reality of a Messiah, a Jesus who came to save, who came to satisfy our debt. And gospel saturation is where every man, woman, and child have an encounter with Jesus in word and in deed every day. That's the picture of this chain. If we send each other out, if we proclaim, and, people, and, we, and actually our proclaiming is in the proximity of people where they actually hear, not just making them come to us, but going to them, and then they hear, and then they believe, and then they call on Jesus. Oh my gosh, gospel saturation, God's redeeming work. In a place where now for us to find somewhere else to do that, we've got to go somewhere else. So to proclaim and to be sent are both a constant state of being and a momentary response to a specific opportunity. They're constant because they're an expression of our identity. For proclamation to be an identity expression, it's, it is our way of life. Is what we're talking about. The crier would defy their very purpose if they were given all of their info and then they just rode around the town looking at people without passing on what they knew. They would just be out for a nice afternoon ride on the horse. Because we're made new, overtaken by the Holy Spirit, um, because we've been given a new name, we have a new family, a new destiny, and an eternity our proclamation is constant. Our, the way that sentness is expressed in a, as an identity is that wherever we are, wherever we are, wherever our feet stand, the mission of God exists and is propelled through us. You are always sent. It's not some graduation moment where you get mature and then you go. You are sent right now. When you walk out that door, you're sent. Wherever you are this afternoon, you're sent. Tomorrow, da-da-da, you get it. Every Christ follower, as we just said, is a disciple maker, and every disciple maker is a missionary with a mission field to claim. But there are momentary um, opportunities to respond to, to as specific moments arise. Our proclamation as a way of life becomes momentary when a need for specific gospel, the gospel of Jesus, to be proclaimed. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So the way of life, the way of life that proclaims the goodness of God, if we have the good news and we live as good news people that actually have a pervasive sense of joy and peace and contentment because of the work of Christ, all of a sudden it intrigues a world that is watching. It intrigues a world that we're living and walking alongside shoulder to shoulder every day. And they will ask. They will see. And that is your moment for it to be not just an expression of identity that is constant, but a momentary, explicit saying, crying out, I am not ashamed of the gospel, of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. A quick word on, on a question, oh, and when we find out a specific need, thinking about our sentences and identity, it's also, as we see, a unique, specific opportunity um, we consider, is it for us to go? 
And, and, and I don't know if this is helpful. It's the way I think I like imperatives and, and impact statements. And so I like this. I don't take it or leave it. But I like flipping the question of like, should I go? And instead, assuming that we are sent. So the question is, should I stay? Um, I, I like that. Whichever one you identify with, hold on to it tight, live it out. I'm happy. Um, but, but that's who we are. And we have an ongoing opportunity and moments where we see unique things that we need to step into. A quick word, um, actually we're just going to jump. Um, we, we, have, we have areas and groups of people like this around us every day in our community. Areas and groups of people that, that need to know the, the loving truth of Jesus. And, they, and, and we have them around us every day. The, and our opportunities to engage as we are able. There are organizations that you can join in with, or maybe you have an idea that's not addressed yet, and if you have that idea, you might actually be the one that needs to be the catalyst for stepping into that. Um, if you have anything that kind of fits in that category of a desire to, to meet a need that you see, um, that you know is happening, or a desire to help step out, um, I, I want to ask you to reach out to Matt and Lori Stevens. They help they help kind of lead our, our local missions, which our local missions group, our, our team, is all about helping us mobilize, move towards opportunities of gospel mission around our city. So we have that. It's here. There's also a need that goes to the ends of the earth. And we have partnership and missionaries, and we've already mentioned one of them, in two very difficult areas, uh, one in Pakistan and one in Bali. And I can't really say much more than that because they've asked us not to because of this being posted uh, on the Internet. But they're in very difficult places. They are in dark, unreached, unaccessed places. Um, we, we have those partnerships. We'll, we will also be doing a short-term trip uh, this coming year with East-West Ministries. And East-West, every partnership that they have is our areas that are unreached and, unac and unaccessible to the gospel. And so they take short-term trips to these areas. And so if you want to learn more about the partnerships that we have in Bali and Pakistan, or you would like to keep in, keep in touch with this trip with East-West that's going to come up in the year, please reach out to uh, Sanjeev Magnani or Marisa Matthews. Um, we want to be a part of expressing the full sentness of the body of Christ. We can and should be involved in taking the glorious good news of Jesus to the entire world. That's our purpose. That's our opportunity. It starts with our families, in our homes, to our neighbors, and to the ends of the earth. So let's close with these last words from Paul in verse 15. It says, Beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This truth calls us to understand the content of the message and the manner in which we should deliver it. The message, you know, to say that the, the content of the message just makes this proclamation true. Beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Hey, I'll tell you what. If you bring me a cup of coffee from Blacksmith Coffee, I will gush over you to some degree of somehow saying your feet are beautiful because you brought me good news. You brought me coffee from Blacksmith. It also works in the negative. Um, I mean, you've heard like, don't shoot the messenger, right? Or like the bad news, often the messenger pays the price. When I was 20 years old, I saved a 10-year-old from a fire, a house fire. Uh, his grandparents lived in Germany. I never met them. Never talked to them in person. After, after this happened, they sent me this beautiful letter of just love 
and gratitude and just, you know, and they knew nothing about me except that I had rescued their kid from a burning home, their grandson from a burning home. And yet to them, my life was beautiful and precious. 20 years later, I still get a Christmas card from them from Germany every year. Never talk to them. But because I brought them something precious, they see me as beautiful. You are the carrier of this message, as we've already said today. Have pride in it. Have your eyes open. That's why, again, we've already quoted it once, but from Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is life and salvation for all who believe and call on the name of the Lord. And then we see it is also a picture of the manner of how we are to deliver this good news. We are delivering good news. And I've already said it, we're to be good news people, but it goes beyond that. We too often deliver good news as if it's bad news. We sit in judgment and condemnation over the people in which God wants to usher in in grace and allow him to bring his corrective work. Again, like we can't do that. We are meant to, to just love well, live out truth, and as the Lord leads and invites us in, yes, we share the explicit truth of God, which has an absolute truth of what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad, what is life-giving, what is destructive. But yet as we take this to the world, it should be beautiful. It is not by exposing someone of how bad they are, how much of a disappointment they are in living up to God's standards. It is by revealing to them God's goodness and love and holiness, his holiness for them. So as you live out a life unto his holiness and you live a life that calls people to his goodness and holiness, that will reveal any, any chasm that they need to. That will let them see that I am hanging over an abyss that I do not want to fall into, but I'm going to if I keep trying. So today, if you are in need of salvation, hear the truth of Jesus. Hear the truth of who God is and who you are. How he created you, but what went wrong. Believe in God's majesty and goodness and your need for him and call out and surrender. And trust. If you're a Christ follower, steward the gift you've been given well. We must live sin lives and be unselfish with one another as we send each other out. Proclaim with your life and your words. People need to see and hear. We, we haven't said it in a while. We used to say it a lot, but our lives are a hermeneutic and an apologetic for the truth of God. What does that mean? A hermeneutic is just a, a, a means in which we interpret truth. Apologetic is the way in which we defend truth. So as Christ followers, your life should be that. It should help people understand the truth claims of God, and it should help people actually believe them as true. Where can you go that the gospel is not? And as God reveals that to you, will you go? So God, we love you. Um, we thank you, Lord, for your love for us and how you have shown us that extravagant love in Christ. Lord, I pray for all of us in this room, if there are any who are, are, are seeking 
um, who are, are, or just blatantly, they know that they don't believe and they're just kind of checking it all out. God, I, I just pray for grace. I pray that they would know your love. I pray that they would kind of have patience with the journey. Um, and I pray that they would know that they are welcome here and that you love them. I pray for those who are Christ followers in this room. Let us understand who you have made us to be, the glorious gift we've been given in Christ. And Lord, how our whole life is meant to proclaim and go to where the gospel of Jesus is needed. Let us remember now, let us remember well the work of Christ. Let us be grateful for your glorious, gracious, sovereign provision for our life and salvation. And let us take up the mantle of, of the purpose of Christ as we do this. We pray all this in Jesus' name.